this week on the Digital Dust Podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Military history, World War One, commemoration. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Digital Dust Podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Katie. I'm Patrick. And uh, welcome to episode five. That oh, that felt so weird. That intro just felt so foreign. I know. So like formal. <laughs> so formal. So formal. Well, number one, guys, we're missing Robin today. We're very we sad that she can't be here with us. But we're sending her all of our positive vibes, love, and she'll maybe be back with us next next time. But for now, you're yeah. stuck with the three of us. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> And uh, we're talking about a little more somber of a topic today. Maybe you got that from the intro. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Military history, World War One, commemoration. And if you're from like the Commonwealth or Europe, you might know why we chose that. Um, because what is November 11th? Remembrance Day. That's it. Remembrance Day. We could hear all your voices through our headphones yes. right there. All singing <laughs> right along with us. <laughs> the treehouse show, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Remembrance Day is on this coming Thursday. It's November 11th. So this episode, we're going to start by giving you a history of Remembrance Day. If you're an American, it might not be a topic you really know about. Then we're going to talk kind of about military history in general and give you more of an overview of Canadian military history, the conversations in military history. We should put a disclaimer. None of us are military historians by training. I, like, I like to dabble in it, but like as a side hobby. <laughs> yeah, you're the, you're the most military historian out of all of us, I think. But... Yes, and that is like... You know, I just scratched the surface because violence. Because mm. violence. True. It does mm-hmm. intersect with war a lot. So. It does, it does. And then we might ask ourselves some kind of bigger questions about commemoration and memory and and things we touched on in episode one or two of season one. I can't remember. But if you didn't listen to those, go back. We talk a bit more <laughs> about this. Yeah, yeah. The first episode, yeah, about memory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, our episode about memory and nation building. Oh, maybe it's yep. actually episode three. It's episode three, I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I also, I, I looked it up, and I think Veterans Day is also on the 11th of November. <gasps> oh, it is? Okay, oh, I wasn't yeah. sure if it was. I yeah. totally didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes sense, because I was like... That does make sense. I was talking to my boyfriend about it before he left for the gym, and, I, and, he, and we're like, oh, it'll be interesting, so we're kind of focusing on Canada, because I don't think... That they Americans celebrate on the eleventh, and he was like, "Why wouldn't they?" And I was like, "Well, I thought it was more <laughs> of a, I thought it was more of a, uh, like more of a uh, allies, like allies and Commonwealth thing on the eleventh than the Americans." But the war ended for everyone on the same yeah. day. Yeah, so. that's true. But you know what? No offense, the U.S. did basically nothing in World War One. Oh, Katie. <laughs> yeah. And then World War Two, they just made it worse. So. Yeah. I know. But then they provided the manpower that maybe helped it win. But like in World War One, <laughs> they just show up and then it's like a year later they're like, Oh, the war's over. Bro, you didn't fight that war. In uh, their in their defense, everyone said it was gonna be over in Christmas. I mean, 
Yep. If I was a country and like it's gonna be over soon, I'll just wait it out. Yeah. You and your country across the ocean, like you know what? What's it called? Isolationism. Yeah. I can back it. I can back it from time to time. <laughs> only from time to time, though, guys. Globalization. Right. The is only a good time thing. the U.S. just sat sat back and was like, "We're not yeah. gonna meddle in this one." Those were the days. Oh, the turntables. <laughs> and everything changed. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Point is, though, I think they might know a little bit about what we're talking about. That's true. Yes. You probably studied World War One, even if you were an American, because you did technically participate. <laughs> <laughs> the My Zimmerman <God>. telegram. <laughs> and even if you didn't participate, it is, you know, world. Well, I mean, like, it doesn't involve the whole world, but like, it is. A but like a lot. Sizable chunk of it. It's a big yeah. war. You should because know a little colonialism. bit about it. Exactly. No, like literally because colonialism. Um, We're getting off okay. topic, guys. <laughs> well, are we? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so some um, history of Remembrance Day. Uh, all of the things that I'll say in this podcast are courtesy of the Canadian War Museum. You should check out their website if you're really interested in this or the museum itself if you live in and around Ottawa or are going there anytime soon. I don't know if that's a thing people do, but... Well, I don't like Ottawa. <laughs> you don't like okay. Ottawa? No, it's oh, a I gross city. Right. Agreed. Well, good thing. Good thing you're in like Scotland or wherever. Yeah, I'm actually in London, London? right now. But yeah, good old, good old London town. Good old London. Yeah, Robin's also not here to defend Ottawa. She went to the University of Ottawa. If you, yes, yeah. Anyway, back on topic, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, originally, Remembrance Day was called Armistice Day. And it was first recognized or first, um, I don't want to say celebrated, because that feels wrong. Yeah, commemorated on, on the November 11th, 1919, so like the year after the armistice. And it was celebrated in the Commonwealth, also in like other countries like France, Belgium, Poland, like countries that were greatly affected by the war, obviously, uh, because of geography. It was kind of like the first couple were pretty, you know, important. People recognize them. But then as we get into the Roaring Twenties, people have other things on their mind and they like aren't really paying attention to it anymore, right? It's been however long and there's other things in the works for people. So they're not they're not really thinking about it. Also, it really traumatized a whole generation. Like, I don't I know mean, how, yeah. like, how many oh, people yeah. wanted to, especially, I think it'll be interesting mm. this whole time that we're talking. Like, obviously, we didn't have a world, war, a world war that was also going on in the midst of the pandemic that we're currently living through. But, um, I mean, in 1919, where we're first starting to commemorate the end of the war, we're right in the throes of the Spanish the Spanish flu pandemic, where, you know, five five. Mm-hmm. To, Five percent, ten percent of the world's population died. Um, so it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm- I learned something very interesting when I was doing my research. Research in quotations again. This is just the War Museum. Um, but basically, in 1928, a bunch of veterans and some other people pushed for like more recognition of Remembrance Day, which was then called Armistice Day, FYI, and. The problem was that the government was kind of lumping it together with Thanksgiving. And so the federal government in 1931 
renamed it to Remembrance Day and moved Thanksgiving to a different date. No way. Is that why we have Canadian Thanksgiving? For real? I think so. I don't know that for sure, but I do trust the Canadian War Museum. So, yeah. For, for, For the Americans who don't know this, Canadian Thanksgiving is the second Monday of October. So it's like way before yours. But maybe apparently it was the second Monday of November for Which is a while. so weird, like, because I was I always know. told that, like, oh, it's because it's colder in Canada, so you harvest earlier. Yes. So it's always mm-hmm. been earlier. But no, I guess that's just kind of like a myth. Damn. Yeah. So, yeah, that I was very interested when I found that. Yeah, it, that's wild. But that goes to show you, like, in the first decade after it, people were too traumatized. People weren't thinking about it. And like that speaks to a bigger conversation about commemoration where it often takes us a while to recognize that we need to commemorate events. Mm-hmm. Like for some things, it's, you know, people are like, oh, we need to commemorate this from the get go. But especially back then, people weren't really interested in like reliving the past in the same way. Yeah. yeah. I think you just didn't like, you didn't have time. Like we don't have the leisure that we do mm-hmm. now. And we don't have things like social media. Like, now we have social media where, like, everything is, like, we're, you know, every single day is, like, National Pizza Day, National Ice Cream Day, National Whatever Day. Like, you know, we're commemorating <laughs> literally anything that's, like, in front of our eyeballs. But, like, at the time, you're just trying to, like, recover from, you know, in Germany from a very devastating, complete economic f- crash, which then happened in, in, you know, North America and around the globe later on. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, you didn't really have time. Like, the war sucked. And you toiled for a long time and you had to, like, catch up and you just wanted it to go back to normal. Like, yeah. I wasn't wasn't alive during that time, I wouldn't know, but I just assumed. (laughs) That's how everyone felt. Thanks for the clarification. (laughs) I I, I really wonder what it would be like to be at a Thanksgiving that was also recognizing Remembrance Day at the same time. That would be interesting because it would probably be sort of like framed like a thankful thing, right? Like I'm thankful that I'm alive and I'm thankful that we're free and I'm thankful that these people fought in this war and now we're good and stuff. Probably more eloquent than that, but you know. Maybe. That would be interesting though. I think we should come back. We should come back to that uh, later in the episode. The Mm -hmm. idea that um, obviously there's being thankful, but I was always taught that like my dad used to say this to me like, we have to remember on this day because like you have to think about what would have happened if the nazis won and that we would all be speaking german and we'd be ruled (laughs) by hitler and like all this thing and it's like i don't think that actually would have happened you looked at the countries who lose wars that usually doesn't happen where they completely dominate the rest of the world but anyway we can come back to that but i thought that's interesting too it's like part straddling the line of like uh being thankful but then also like the fear aspect of it is really oh, interesting totally. and totally. always thinking about yeah. like what could have happened and it's always painted as like well if it wasn't for us canadians being super victorious at you know juno beach then <laughs> the nazis would have won and you know we'd all be yeah. speaking, speaking the deutsch so yeah i was never taught to be thankful mm-hmm. or that's not true necessarily but like I was <laughs> in general, no, I was never, uh, not, it wasn't a big thing for Remembrance Day in my schools or anything. It was, it was you usually more like mournful. It's usually more like a, like a sort of funeral vibe, sort of like we're going to remember all these people who died and be vibes, very sad yeah. and stuff. But I think there are really interesting facets of Remembrance Day that, that could be brought out in addition to it. Like I'm not saying don't grieve or anything, obviously, you know, but, but 
there are some interesting additions, things like being thankful that I think might be actually really interesting to, to, I don't know, see more of. That actually leads me pretty well to kind of like what I thought we'd touch on, which is like, what does Remembrance Day look like in Canada? Kind of, you know, like we did talk in episode two or three about like specific memories we have right of remembrance day ceremonies and like some of them are really odd and some of them are really like you know mournful but like you know what does it look like generally what do we do what do we talk about all of those kind of things there's a i mean there's kind of like three or four like very iconic things that um that happen in a in any remembrance day ceremony there's obviously a moment of silence and that usually happens um uh usually around 11 a.m at our school we used to do 11 11 mm-hmm. like we would yeah. that that was exactly that was when the, yeah. so the war ended so we would come into the you know, assembly or whatever and do that and then um so you'd have a minute of silence or a moment of silence um, everyone's wearing their poppies, poppies. I don't know if that's as big a thing in the States, but I know like in the UK and in Canada, um, they're so funny looking here. They are. They're like the paper they're ones, right? Paper. They're not like yeah, the felt ones. Paper. Yeah. They're You're very just different. big paper poppies in England. Yeah. What the heck? I've seen them. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Really funny. That's yeah. funny. And they have like a leaf mm. too. Yes. They, they're like, make it aesthetic. Are. Whereas ours are just like these like yeah. little red felt things. And they and and they and poke you because they're just a str- It's like someone took a felt flower, just stuck a sewing needle into it, and that's it. It's literally it. It's not yeah. good. Your whole childhood is perfecting how to make it so it doesn't fall yes. off. Because like you would just look down and be like, no more. Or poppy. you'd have the weird kids around you in the assembly who are like put, poking it through the oh. in their hands. Oh, I hated that. Yeah, but only like the first right? layer. Right. So you can still oh. see it through. It's it. disgusting. Yeah. If you were one of those kids, I don't like you. <laughs> Why? Straight up, straight up, I don't like you. I hear that though. I get it. <laughs> those were always like this sketchy cat. I'm sorry, but it's true. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Another, I guess another, like, aspect, um, again, you should have that moment of silence. Uh, certain communities, like, um, most communities in Ontario and Canada have cenotaphs. So places where the people in that community who have passed during the wars uh, are commemorated and their names are there. So often you would place a wreath there. There would be a ceremony there. Uh, in our school, we would read out the names of the people in our community because it was a very small community. Um, it's not like, you know, in Toronto, we were, like, <laughs> reading, like thousands of names. Um, and the last post and in Flanders fields are another two. So the last post, um, I was a trumpet player in high school. So I played the last post for three. No. Yeah. For three. And it's, it's no actually, way. um, I hate saying it's not fun. It's a really cool challenge if you're a trumpet player because you play it like a bugle. So you actually don't use any of your valves. It's all your face. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's That's really cool. cool. So I, I did last cool. post a couple times, which was really neat. We were lucky, too. We had a lot of connections in my school to uh, one of the local pipe bands. So we actually had um, a piper come in and pipe Amazing Grace as um, the veterans were coming in and our speakers were coming in. So we did a really great ceremony. And then we would do um, uh, the grade 10 history class would all uh, light candles and they would stand around the assembly and they would each read off the names of the people um from gravenhurst from my community who had passed during the wars and then as you would say their name you'd blow out the candle um so it was a very we did a very good ceremony i will say we have and you usually have a veteran either someone who unfortunately there are no longer 
uh, I don't think anyone basically who survived the Second World War, let alone the First World War, all of our veterans from those two have passed, but um, there are many other wars, Korean War, I don't think we were really involved in the Korean War, we weren't involved in the Vietnam War, but um, things like Iraq and Afghanistan. So anyway, yeah, you'd have a veteran come in and then in Flanders Fields, which is of course this beautiful poem that was written uh, by Canadian John McCrae. I have a question for our international listeners, because to me, In Flanders Fields is like the Remembrance Day poem. But I don't know if that's because John McRae was a Canadian, and so we all say his poem because, yeah, he was a Canadian, or if it's because it was like so popular. So if you are an international listener who recognizes Remembrance Day, have you heard of In Flanders Fields? Did you recite it every year? I just yeah. want to know. I have a feeling it's very Canadian. It's like that. I know. It feels like a really Canadian thing to be like this important poem written by this man from Guelph. If you don't know it, yeah. you should look it up and read it because it's beautiful. Um, and if like, your school doesn't do it or something, you should just like come up to them yeah. and be like, I found this amazing poem. And it's very like, good. Oh my God. Because it's, it's, it's great. It's really cool. And it's especially very interesting he talks about passing down the torch and like keeping yeah. the memory alive kind of i mean i feel like most canadians know it almost completely by heart fun fun fact in first year i arranged a our hamilton fans are gonna love this i arranged a because my mom is a high school music teacher so like every year they try to do something with the band or the choir i arranged a kind of mash up of in flanders fields to history has its eyes on you from hamilton oh wow oh i was like i have a thing i have a thought that connects to this and i know what the thought i'm is. so proud of you katie <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh a book recommendation there won't be very many in this a very good book it's called some desperate glory it's a book about the First World War, but it's specifically about poets in the First World War. I mean, admittedly, they're English poets, so John McRae is not featured. But basically, it's like a book that goes through, so it's like a, the, the year, so it's like 1914, and he tells you everything that happens in that year, who gets drafted, who like enlists, like blah, blah, blah. And then the next section is all of the poems written in that year, and then it keeps going. So, he, you know, they'll talk about like, oh, X person was like sent to this battle where he wrote these poems. Obviously, they're all men. And then you actually read the poems. Anyway, it's really good. It's called Some Desperate Glory. Highly recommend. And its cover is really pretty, which is admittedly why I bought it originally. But it turned out to be a good book. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Sort of like, I mean, this is like a weird thing. This is sort of getting into questions and conversations more about commemoration and, and, and sort of what we do to commemorate and stuff. But I just remember in, in elementary school in particular, as a kid, I'd always be, I would always be like told or, or sort of like put into these like plays or assemblies or whatever that we're doing in like weirdly morbid situation. Like, I don't know. If this, if the tab- Are you talking about the tableaus? Sure, the tableaus? tableaus. Yes, that was a part the of it tableaus. for sure. But yes. like you know, I think like one year we had like a diary of a of a person who who died in World War One, and I think I was I played that soldier in the play, and someone else like narrated as I wrote down in my journal all the stuff, and it was all very sad and kind of kind of emo, and like I don't know. I like I I question those things sometimes in terms of like I don't I like I feel like for kids who don't quite get it 
you know, or, or who aren't like developmentally at a place where they really understand the point of commemoration. I worry if it sometimes gets lost on them in this sort of like, I mean, like I, I for sure, when oh, I was yeah. a kid doing that, I was living like my best goth life. Like I was like, oh yeah, drama. <laughs> it's like, it's, just, it's ridiculous. I mean, it was kind of cool in some ways to, to, it was very powerful, impactful for sure. But it definitely had this element when you're a kid of just like, I'm having fun being angsty and stuff. And so that's my other Remembrance Day memory. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I wanted to touch on that too. I feel like, I don't know if this is more of a Canadian thing or if the States do it too. Like in a lot of these ceremonies and things, like there's so much like, and I don't want to be disrespectful to veterans or anyone who served or whatever, um, or try to kind of um, undermine all the events that happened, especially during the World Wars, but it's a lot of trauma porn. Yeah. You know? A lot of it is, like, yeah. especially for children, like, I find it, it walks a very fine line of commemorating and also kind of, like, not necessarily deliberately scaring children, but a lot of it was, um, like, I, I remember certain years where the speaker, the veteran that was there was a lot more graphic in his descriptions. And then there are other ones where they're just kind of like not even talking about the war. And at the time I was like, mm, whatever, like this isn't, you know, like, like you kind of expect that like to be shocked and to be traumatized by what you're hearing and what you're seeing. Um, I mean, like, especially with the World War One, it was so visceral and you'd always see things in assemblies of um, the trenches and like, just like how god awful it was so yeah i find especially in canada there's a lot of that like trauma porn and it takes away from the commemorating um and makes it seem like like this kind of great i don't know like this i don't know this great loss um uh when i was doing some readings for for this episode uh, i don't know if it's too early to bring it up but i i feel like because we're talking about it anyway i'll just briefly touch on it um that a theorist was kind of talking about this and talking about specifically how Canadians commemorate war and um, and kind of how we actually use it for nation building. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's for quite sure. interesting. This kind of, and it actually apparently originated with uh, Prime Minister Robert Borden, um, who decided, yeah, it's again right around that time that he wanted to kind of purchase influence with, uh, with Britain um, by kind of... Um, kind of conflating what happened during the war with this blood sacrifice and this kind of national crusade for um, what the, the the theorist that I'm reading says is was a national crusade for a greater role for in imperial affairs. Uh, and so they said that when that mission failed, um, in order to kind of give meaning to the 60,000 Canadians that died just in the First World War alone, uh, they started to like construct this myth of like this purposeful sacrifice so it's very much like equating them to jesus christ and how he died right like he died for our sins so we could live better lives and it's the same thing very much in canada with how our soldiers died that it was traumatic um and they deliberately gave up their lives for a greater purpose and to be honest most of these men did not and women did not die for any purpose it was just senseless killing that just reminds me, one of the many um, movies that I watched in high school, I, I once tried to count, I watched like 35 movies in high school, but one of them was uh, the well-known classic Vimy Ridge. Ooh, no, 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 no. Passion Bale, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. Where somebody is legitimately crucified on the battlefield, which is the wildest artistic choice known to man. But like, it's, yeah, that idea of like <laughs> these soldiers were like, 
dying for our sins. And that us children are not grateful enough and that we should listen to our elders and listen to how, you know, we have it so easy and, you know, all this stuff. There's a lot of propagating that that goes into some Remembrance Day ceremonies, which is really unfortunate, right? Mm -hmm. Because at least for me, the purpose of Remembrance Day ceremony is to remember all the death and sadness and so on. So we don't do it again or something, you know? The purpose in my high school was to have the drama class do something. Oh, yes. Tableaus. (laughs) Yeah. Tableaus. Um, the interpretive dance from the dance oh, sure. class. Honestly, our Remembrance Day ceremonies were anything but, like, they were somber, but they were, like, the kind of somber that's kind of unhinged. But anyway, like, these dances were just... Oh, that was, level. like, my, my elementary school. Like, we would, as eighth graders, you would, you would, like, basically, like, read in Flanders Fields, and they would bring the kindergarten class in front of you, and you would take your poppy off of you and put it onto the, fr- the little kindergartners in front of you. And it's very strange. It's just very interesting. It's like, we're passing this same trauma and, like, this same, like, you know, like, here you go, it's your turn to just be traumatized every year and, like, you know, like, completely inundated with this. Um to you with failing hands we exactly throw. right exactly the torch that's uh, i think that's exactly what they were trying to do too they were trying to emulate flanders fields but yeah did anybody listen to the song highway of heroes when they were in school like those oh, like oh my god yeah we had to videos? watch like the the videos that play highway of heroes i do think this is a good time or maybe not a good time but liz has some interesting commentary on like military history as a discipline because we've been talking about the kind of non-discipline aspect of this right like the commemoration in public but like let's talk a little bit about military history and yeah um so i have a couple things i have a couple thing about like the historiography uh of like canadian military history and kind of commemoration specifically with world war one um, but Katie also wrote down some really interesting points just about kind of like the history, military history in general. Um, and, you know, obviously it's very much a male dominated field. Um, that's slowly starting to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there is ma- there is a lot of room being made. However, there's also still a lot of malicious um, things going on, which we have seen from, you know, posting a very like talk like very calm like tiktok slash real about um you know mm-hmm. reverse gatekeeping military history for um i can take this out if we don't want it in uh but nah. again no, com- we, we commentated on this thing that it's <laughs> oh it's yeah. really a male dominated field and that like women should be also included in that conversation women um had a very large role to play i've done a lot of research specifically about um uh, nurses in World War One and the Canadian Medical Army Corps and the nursing sisters and so much of what they did like a lot of the men that did survive that and have really horrible injuries only survived because of the women who were working there they were literally called angels they were literally called like angels on the battlefield but anyway that that history is often erased because it's a ma- it's a very male dominated masculine history of again violence trauma blood um, you know, us men had to sacrifice while you women had to stay home on the home front. Um, and that same history is being retold by men. And so I feel like that's why so much of what we see throughout Remembrance Day and the historiography is just like very much, again, that trauma porn. 
Um, it is one mm-hmm. of the oldest forms of history as well. Uh, I mean, like, obviously wars are as old as time itself. There's always been wars. There's always been conflict. And uh, it's always been one of the things kind of that are most important for us to record and to study. Um, and nowadays, military history is kind of, yeah, it is like expanding into other things. I did a really interesting uh, media studies course about um, kind of military history, specifically like how media is portrayed uh, portrays violence and specifically war, and especially we talked about Vietnam and things, and it was very interesting. Um, so there's a lot of intersectionality that's starting to come into play with war history now and military history, which is great. Um, but yeah, so in our, in uh, season one, we talked about that same kind of episode we talked about before. We talked about um, kind of how politicized history is. Most of the time, history is not apolitical. It is entirely political. It is there for nation building. And that is very evident in the like, literally since time immemorial history of military history. Um, and so uh, kind of looking at that in Canada, I found some really interesting things. Uh, and I touched a little bit on the tension between kind of uh, people in the battlefield and people at home, the home front. Um, and that was uh, something that apparently is very much um, highlighted in Canadian, uh, in like the, the discourses that Canadian military historians have. Um, and that uh, talking about the Canadian Expedientary Force, so that was during World War One, where that basically encompasses all of the people who um, left the, the homeland, left Canada um, to fight abroad during the war. Um, and kind of the tension between the them and the people who stayed home, whether that was the many women and their families um, who did things like uh, victory gardens and knitted things and underwent rations and took the took occupations and jobs that that men could no longer fill because they were away um, and kind of um, has really used that to kind of sever how we understand the history to be less of a kind of complete social history to more of a political history where again like there was that great sacrifice of having to be sent away but um, and you know shedding blood and dying for a cause but there wasn't any loss on the other side of people at home which is not not true at all I mean like especially World War One had that was an unprecedented event historical event that um, people again didn't really we kind of talked about this earlier like people didn't really have the time to process it because you had to pick up and you had to keep going it was very much a we can't stop and think about this this is you know it happens and we have a lot to rebuild before we can get back to normal again um, which kind of is where we're at with COVID right now. It's like we're kind of coming out of it and like so much of it is like let's just get on with life. Um, just a, a side note, when we, you were talking about like the trauma of World War One and everything, Margaret McMillan, who is a Canadian military historian, um, she's a really rad lady. She refers to World War One as the war that ended the peace, which is like a really interesting way to think about how it changed the dynamics, particularly of Europe but also just like the world generally. She has great books. She has a book called The War That Ended the Peace. She also has Paris 1919, which is all about the armistice. Highly recommend. Yeah, that's totally it, right? Um, it, it only led to more war <laughs> that is still continuing to this mm-hmm. day. Uh, but I guess that kind of brings us back to the historiography and how specifically we remember and commemorate war. So this is from, uh, his name is Mark Osborne uh, Humphreys, and this is from Between Commemoration and History, the Historiography of the Canadian Corps and Military Overseas. 
uh, and he says that the homefront and battlefield literatures have essentially evolved independently of one another. While most historians of the former emphasize the divisive nature of the Great War and question whether older colony to nation narratives can capture the diversity of the Canadian experience, histories of, historians of operations and the Canadian Expeditionary Force have sometimes been less critical, writing in a more positivist and nationalistic tradition, which retains the nation building narrative as a core focus. Uh, in large measure, this is because military hist historians are often more m motivated by a commemoration impulse, which then shapes the nature of their studies and the questions they ask. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really cool. cool. And I had some, I wrote some questions that we could ask um, when looking at um, commemoration. I don't know if there's anything you guys want to add before. No, I love questions. You love questions? No, yeah, let's do them All questions. Right. I don't necessarily know if we'll ever, I, I forget actual any actual answers so i, <laughs> I, I wrote his silent this whole questions time. to questions to ponder i wrote um what is the value in commemorating or remembering war that's a good question it's a really good question it, it made is. me think specifically of events like vimy ridge where um like again that's very much like a historiography thing i guess where it's a specific event rather than just kind of like an era and i feel like that's what gets the most attention um and these really become mm -hmm. these sites too of like these mass graves and these like you know very somber memorials uh everywhere throughout belgium and france and and england and wherever the the western front was um places like Vimy Ridge where like we have to go there's like this pilgrimage every year where people go they go to Juno Beach they um they go to Flanders Fields and wherever else to like bear witness to the atrocities that happen there I think it's quite interesting but yeah what is the value in commemorating or remembering remembering war hmm. is there a value in it I don't know <laughs> this is this is my why do we do it why do we do it <laughs> Well, yeah, but then you got to think about the fact that, like, the soldiers or the veterans are often, like, the well, not anymore for World War One, and not really for World War Two. We have very, very few left. But, like, you think of them as as the figurehead and, and the spearhead at the very beginning to commemorate. But then you wonder, like, how much do they actually like these modern commemorations? And how much things? is that their narrative? How much is this the historians yeah. talking, right? And I think especially... When we look at trauma, um, and especially during the First and Second World Wars, like trauma and the effects of trauma and how it presents was not really understood at all. These people came home and they were nonverbal. They were shell shocked, quite literally, um, and you know, spun into addictions and all sorts of things, which we now all recognize as part of um, what happens when you when you undergo such severe trauma. And so I think that a lot of the histories and the way that we commemorate them are ignorant of that fact. They, um, and I, I, I feel like there's just, I feel bad. Like I feel bad as a kid being like, your story wasn't traumatic enough. I wanted to be wowed and it wasn't. Yeah, really like, gaslighted such, some of these veterans Well, it is, right? It's yeah. such a weird dynamic of the people who didn't serve, who like expect to be trauma dumped on. And then there are the, the people that, are constantly having to explain and share their trauma without ever having room to like heal and like experiencing it and like why do we focus on the trauma like I, I feel like if I was a veteran it I, that would be 
my focus is like, why are we reliving this? Why can't we use this to be productive and make something good of it? Or even just like, why do I have to share it at all? Like, that's not the point of war. The point of war isn't to reminisce of the violence. It's what did we, what, cause it wasn't, again, there wasn't any meaning in this violence. There wasn't meaning in all those lives that were lost, the people that were slaughtered. Um, but because we're nation building and because we're politicizing it, that trauma at least means something to the state, it means something, you know, at a national and political level. But Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about this earlier on in, in the episode, but I think, I mean, for me, a, a big issue that I have with commemoration is this idea of sort of glorifying war and all that sort of stuff. But I think commemoration is important. I just think that often it's, it's sort of not handled in the, in the, best way <laughs> you know you know i think i mean what i was talking about earlier i think was this idea that like that that war commemoration should be about not having any more war right that it's not about glorifying the war it rather rather it shouldn't be about glorifying the war it shouldn't be about you know talking about the the current military or anything like that it should be about about recognizing the atrocities that happened so that we can continue in, in a world that doesn't have that sort of atrocity happen again it's like learning from your mistakes right at least that, that that's what i think the goal of commemoration of war should be and and so going way back to when we were talking about thanksgiving what i think is really interesting is when commemorations can have sort of multiple layers to it right so you have the you like you know you you have the 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 somewhat necessary sort of somber we're going to take a moment to reflect on these people who 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 died and you know thanks for for sacrificing and all sort of stuff but then you you also would place a lot of emphasis on being thankful that you know we aren't living under such systems but in a more positive way not in like not in like what Liz what you're saying about your dad <laughs> where it's like we'd all be german out or whatever not like that but but more in like a like a isn't it nice can't we be thankful that that i don't have to be conscripted into the army isn't that so so wonderful that i don't have to have that happen that's great you know and then then look at the present and like the sort of third layer to it is to look at the present and be like okay what's wrong right now and how can we fix it and how can we use remembrance day and and commemorating these these historical wars to better our present and our future and that's sort of at least the, the the final thought i had about commemoration which i remember now which is this idea that it's all well and good that remembrance day started with world war one and this is sort of a complicated thought but i i especially in recent years, I've always thought like, okay, sh shouldn't we sort of be updating the wars a little bit? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, only World War One and World War Two, really, that we even right, learn you know, about. And, yeah. And like, look, my, my grandfather was in World War Two, and, and he was a veteran and all that sort of stuff. So like, I recognize, you know, it's obviously it's important to, to commemorate those people as well. But I do think that there's a prior Remembrance Day that could look at commemorating more recent wars to to really ignite in people that this stuff is still happening <laughs> that people are still dying <laughs> and and all that sort of stuff and, it, and it's important to yeah. to like light a fire under your ass and, and get to it get to world peace you shit anyway i have lots of thoughts but so so there's that but i also what's interesting is so i think it, it could be updated in commemoration in certain ways that might be helpful but i also think that some remembrance day ceremonies that i've been to have been too focused on the present in a militaristic sense where like instead of commemorating the past, I see a bunch of tanks or like a bunch of people in in army uniforms parading through the street, and it's like, 
that's that's not really the point it's not supposed to be talking about how proud we are of our military prowess in the modern day it, it like and frankly if we had a small army i'd be really happy about that because that would be that we're trying to push towards a, a world where you don't need a, a massive standing army to to defend yourselves and everything and maybe that's too idealistic but i don't give a shit come at me people in the comments i fucking i dare you <laughs> anyway that so those are all of my thoughts it's interesting too like i think that's the thing that sucks as all of our veterans from the first and second world war are gone is that like there isn't anyone with that hopefully from other wars yes but from like those perspectives all of the, the only people that are telling the stories now is the government is the nation and that's why we see so much of the nation building and the trauma porn and all that kind of stuff it's, um because like it's always been like i don't know why war and com or at least commemorating war war like active actively going on war should be uh the responsibility of the state but like why is commemorating it a responsibility of the state why you know what i mean like i think if we removed that aspect of it then there would be more room to have these conversations and it yeah it wouldn't be this like national narrative it would be more of like let's explore it you know well, yeah, it's it's classic interrogating your sources that we learn in, yeah. in university, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. who, who's the author of this thing? Oh, it's the government? Yeah. You know? In, no, in, I don't trust it. Well, certain... <laughs> but also... <laughs> but also get vaccinated yeah. and trust the government that way. I was just going to say, I was had a thought when we were talking about... Uh, I, I had a thought. I don't remember how it came up. But one of the things that I think disconnects people from, like, thinking about the war as, like, an actual thing that happened, especially now, is that, like, veterans are just so old. And I know that's just mean to say, but, like, when you look at a really old person, like, you just don't connect to them in the same way you when you look at, like, a really young person. And, like, when you're looking at these veterans who are, like, 17, 18, like, you just don't remember that. So I think that that creates this disconnect. Which, again, if we brought in, like, more modern veterans, but, of course, that can create problems. But Yeah, it goes both ways, totally. It's, yeah, I always knew that was hard, because, like, it always feels like when these old people are telling you their experience, like, I'm, I'm never going to have that experience. Like, sorry, but experiencing war has changed, and, like, at least, like, hearing from people with a more contemporary perspective of war... Um, War is still awful. People are still dying. Far less people are dying, but like, how does it affect? Not how does it affect me today? But you know, yeah. And I guess um that kind of like goes into my. Uh, I feel like a lot of the questions I wrote we already like talked about. Like we already talked about how Canadian commemoration is different from American or from global commemoration, and we talked a bit about how Canadian identity has been forged from war. Um, uh, and also how it kind of straddles a line between grotesque or like being grotesque or being respectful. Um, but the one thing I have is like, what is missing from narratives of commemoration and is, uh, which we already also already talked about, but is this changing? And if it isn't changing or if it's changing too slowly, I guess what can our listeners take away uh, and kind of bring with them to their Remembrance Day ceremonies uh, this coming week um, or wherever they are in their community to kind of like, not necessarily challenged, but just to like, you know, make a, I don't know, be productive, be productive with that event and like really make something of it. I would say the civilian experience, like part of me wants to say the female experience, but obviously there were like male and like there were non-female civilians who were affected. 
But I feel like we, and you've talked about this, Liz, that kind of dichotomy between the home front and the um, expeditionary forces. But in Remembrance Day, even today, like you never really talk about the home front and the trauma that they endured. And obviously, like in Belgium and France, it's very different because the home front was the battlefield. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. there, There was no dichotomy. But like, I feel like we just straight up never talked about experiences that weren't on the battlefield. Even nurses, like you were saying, like we don't even talk about them. Yeah, we totally don't. I'd say, I mean, I, it it's sort of missing. It's sort of there. Uh, I've, I've just been on it this whole time. But, you know, commemorations based on peace and peace in the future and all that sort of stuff. It's quite important. Call me a hippie if you want. That's fine. I did mention the, this to you guys earlier before we started recording, but... And I don't, like, have details in front of me, so anyone who's listening, please take this with a grain of salt, like everything I say. But there is something out there called the white poppy. And if if there are listeners who don't know what regular poppies are, regular poppies are red, normally. And so the white poppies are, well, white. And so they're often worn by more pacifist groups or groups who are really sort of about commemoration as a peace movement. And so that's why I say it's it's sort of there and sort of not there because there are sort of like underground or or very sort of subversive movements or that sort of thing that deal in this sort of commemoration. But yeah, I think if if you if you want to look into something interesting uh, about sort of peace and commemoration with Remembrance Day, white poppies are really really cool because they're meant to reflect specifically the people who died and not wanting people like that to die again, meaning soldiers. And and yeah. And there's an interesting controversy because then people who, some people anyway, who wear red poppies or, or support the red poppy. And by the way, if you support the white poppy, you can support the red poppy too. That's fine. And some people don't really care. A lot of people don't really care. But some people who wear the red poppy get frustrated with the white poppy saying, well, you know, the red poppy also commemorates people who died and, and, and not wanting people to to die in another war and everything but it's also bound up in so much other baggage and so much other politicization and stuff that it's a really even even what it represents is blood it does shed exactly right right? yeah yeah Yeah, exactly and so there's there's something really cool to me as someone who likes to try and do activist work whenever whenever i can it's a really cool symbol to be like no this is different this is this is specifically a part this is a statement like there is there is a reason why it's a different color it's it's a cool statement to specifically talk about peace moving forward and and i think that's really cool so there you go i'd never heard of that until you mentioned it i i want to wear a white poppy yeah right (laughs) i want to do that yeah i'll have to try and find some uh war commemoration is hard it's it's hard to wrap your head around i have a lot of i have a lot of difficult and sort of conflicting thoughts about it in my own brain right so that's okay That's exactly. It's a process. It's, okay. it's a process just like anything else, you know, like reconciliation is the same way where like you're always having to learn and educate yourself. And I think uh, I wanted to mention it earlier on, but I, I didn't. But um, I think uh, it's important that we remember. But I also think that remembering can be too passive. It's also important to act. And I think maybe that's, again, something about the white poppy, that it's not just passive remembrance, that we're acting against it. And again, like do, focusing on the present and the future to ensure that, you know, these this horrible loss doesn't happen again or continues, you know, that we continue to be, uh, I don't know, striving for a more peaceful world. But yeah, don't just remember this Remembrance Day, but act. And uh, we'll leave some resources down below for how you can do that or at least some things that you can read. Have a lovely uh, Monday or whenever you're listening to this and observe Remembrance Day how you see fit. 
DM us answers to the questions or insights or if you read in Flanders Fields in schools. Any military historians out there, send us some book recs or anything. Yeah, but don't send us no, any No, please not. I, I can't. We will <laughs> not tolerate it. We don't tolerate it. And also, we're not wrong, so we shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong. That's it. Well, that's history for you. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. I guess I'll still say our goodbye, even though it's a somber episode, because I'll just say it in a somber voice. <laughs> See you on the flippity flop. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandering peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampa. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller. <laughs>